I want to ask that we would join in prayer. Um, as I pray, I want your hearts to come in agreement um, with me praying. Excuse me. The Bible says that, I believe it's in First Thessalonians, it says, we thank God continually for when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, that, that is effectually at work in you who believe. Okay, so two things there. God uses human agents for his conduits. God, um, while he can act in the world and for the world, apart from humanity, he chooses to use humanity nonetheless. Um, so this idea that it's just me and Jesus isn't um, a biblical idea. God uses people to communicate his message and to get his message across. Um, and so that's first of all. Secondly is it is effectually at work in you who believe. And belief is kind of one of those things that is beyond the, the belief of capability. It um, A lot of the times the Bible refers to unbelief as an issue of the human will um, that refuses to comply. Um, so it's not just this lack of faith that God can. Um, in the face of God's ability to, the heart ultimately says, I, I don't really want to. And so as we come and, and we... Um, we we come before the Lord. I want us to ask that He would speak, because the the last thing I would want is for us to merely have a theological lecture or some uh, biblical exposition of of the text, some some biblical preaching, but their lack power. Paul said, "I didn't come to you in persuasive words of wisdom." Uh, but I came to you in the demonstration of the spirit and power. And while certainly persuasion is not bad, because what do we want to do? Do we want to dissuade people to come to the cross? No, obviously we want to employ, we want to target their mind and target their reasoning and begin to reason with them and persuade with them. But at the end of the day, in the final analysis, it's not persuasion that we rely upon. It's the demonstration of the spirit and power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Right? And, and there's, this, there's this edge to the gospel when it is preached and preached in power and anointing that searches the hearts, examines the hearts. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when an unbeliever comes in your midst, it he should come to the place where he says that surely the God of truth is among you because the sins of his heart are laid bare. And so if there's anything less than God's power, then I don't want it and you, you all should not want it either. But it comes on this condition for those who pray. <clears throat> if we've made up in our minds that God would not speak, um, and our hearts are not hungering or aspiring to hear from the Lord, then we will get just that. 
give us this day our daily bread is a prayer for the physical and the natural but i believe it's it's not limited there too it its scope extends also to spiritual meat spiritual food and and this is what we need on a daily basis right and so as we come to prayer i want us to understand those two things um so let let us pray father we come before you lord and I ask God right now in the mighty name of Jesus that your anointing would accompany us, that your presence would accompany us. Lord, I ask, Father, right now that your power, Lord, would begin to move and move mightily. I pray that you would speak to every single heart in this place. Father, I pray that those that are uh, needing direction, that you would give them direction and you would give them guidance. Father, I pray that those that need um reproof or need correction lord or need um to hear from you lord with regards to a, a, a correction in in their their life uh their behavior is off it's out of alignment lord i pray that you would speak to them those that are dealing with uh self-defeating thoughts or self-condemning thoughts i pray that you would speak to them lord i pray god that you would come in peace and that you would come lord with um your anointing, you would come with love, you would restore, you would make whole. God, I pray that you would give me the ability and the power, Lord, to proclaim your word in, in all honesty, in all sincerity, in all power. God, I pray that no single soul would leave this meeting, Lord, under the impression that um, man had his way. Father, may every single soul leave, Lord, understanding that you would have your way, God. I pray that this wouldn't be another meeting. I pray that it would bear a significance in light of eternity. Father, I pray for every heart that is hungry, that you would stir it up even further. I pray that every single soul would begin to fan into flame the gift of God. And I just come against every single uh, lying spirit that would try to deceive or try to dissuade or try to move or hinder. God, I pray that you would have preeminence. May the May uh, Jesus Christ's name be glorified. May your name, O Lord, be glorified. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that every yoke of iron would be broken. Every uh, bondage would be uh, dashed. Every amount of uh, oppression, Lord God, that the enemies tried to enact upon your people, Lord, would be broken and, and would lose its power and lose its grip today. Father, I pray that I would speak by the Spirit, not by the flesh and not even by zeal. Lord, I know where human zeal fails, Lord, your anointing is far greater. And may I speak by the Spirit and see by the Spirit and know by the Spirit. Yes, Lord, may my words be backed with the authority of your Holy Ghost. And Father, I pray that I would preach as a dying man to dying men as if I could never preach again that I would preach in light of eternity. But in light of your grace, in light of your love, in light of your power, in light of the cross, in light of the shed blood, in light of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you that you would speak to your to the hearers today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> amen and amen. Amen. Amen.
So I want to speak to you guys today because, once again, for those of you that just joined, uh, we're taking a look at Isaiah chapter 41. So I'd encourage you to turn there because we're going to read not the entire thing, but we're going to be reading a great passage, a great portion of it. But I want to speak to us today. I, I, I was in prayer last night, and I believe that God spoke to me and told me to come to Isaiah chapter 41. And you will see how it parallels to our current times in some aspects. Because if 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 we need to hear anything, I would surmise that we need to hear something with regards to... Um, Having courage and not fearing, because what what's happening today is the media, the news outlets, um, news stations, uh, political parties, that particularly and especially the left, they're wanting to promulgate this this idea and this this narrative of fear. And if if you at all have heard what has has been going on with regards to uh, the Australians, and um, I haven't heard uh, news lately um, about those that have been taken in what appears to be concentration camps with no word uh, to their families about uh, their their well being. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation in the air. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air. And um, if you're unaware of any of this, the mandates and the vaccinations, and and I don't intend for this at all to be a message about vaccinations. God's message transcends time. It is eternal, and it is for all contexts, for all people, in all places, at all times. But nonetheless, God's word speaks to our situation. God's God's word speaks. It has eternal uh, uh it has e- eternal relevance. Amen. But it has particular application. So a thousand years from now, from now, if God permits for humanity to continue for all, the way that for everything to continue as it is. And suppose there's artificial intelligence and all these other things. The conspiracy theorists are correct. God's word can nonetheless speak to those situations. God's word can speak um, to those times as well as to our times. But the temptation is the devil is going to want to drive us to fear. The devil is going to want to drive us to a, a, a position of uncertainty that immobilizes the church that leads us to become crippled that leads us to be uh to abandon our post that leads us to um a a fruitless life okay so god doesn't want us to adopt the position of fear but let us go right there to isaiah chapter 41 and hopefully i can uh, make the parallel to our current times you see and let me give a little bit of uh, historic context here the prophetic word that isaiah is issuing forth is speaking to those 
who are in captivity. I've spoke about this just recently, but from another text, and um, the people of God were in captivity due to their sin, and they were to endure 70 years, um, they were to endure 70 years of captivity um, under the hand of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel speaks about this. You see this um, in in his in, in the fact that uh, in Jeremiah, you see Jeremiah's prophesying about this time and time again, and the people are not yielding to his word. And so as a result, God does allow them to go into captivity. And you might say, well, what, what does that at all have to do with us? Well, it can do it can have application to us in this regard. Your sin causes you to become captive. The devil entices you and causes you to become captive to his tactics and his wiles. And while God certainly forgives, there are consequences, there are consequences and there are ramifications, there are um, unpleasant results that sin brings to our lives that even when God forgives us, sometimes we have to endure the results thereof. If you had committed adultery or if you've committed fornication, you impregnated a woman, forgive me if this is too detailed of an example, but you have something to now deal with, right? You have a big issue now. Public shame, perhaps, right? Not being married, it's obviously she's pregnant, or 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 maybe uh, you relapsed. And God forgave you, but now you're dealing with the issues of conquering the sin that had once just re-enticed you. But it has to do with this too. Sometimes the people of God are living obedient lives, and the wicked rulers of this world. Are, uh, are attempting to encroach upon our liberty. Because there were people in Jeremiah's day and Isaiah's day that were living obedient lives, but were taken captive nonetheless due to the sins of the nation. And so in our times with this increasing darkness and this talk of, 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 of our liberties being stripped of of our liberties being taken away from us, of, of, of these wicked rulers attempting to uh, uh, mandate and force vaccinations that are inherently demonic. And I say that because they're comprised of, of aborted babies. So that is contrary to God. God is the God of life. He's not the God of death. All right? <clears throat> But what's happening here, once again, is Isaiah the prophet is speaking to those who are in captivity. There's a power greater than themselves that has um, placed them in, in a land that is, is foreign to them, caused them to speak a language, the Chaldean language that is not their native tongue. And this is what the Lord says to, to the Chaldeans. And to any other distant coast alike, says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us 
let us together draw near for judgment. So what he's saying here, he's saying, listen to me in silence. And silence carries with this idea of approach me in reverence and approach me in submission. When a child is in a position to hear from their father or hear from their mother or uh, one older than them because they're in trouble, typically the, the, the child is silent, right? The Bible says that the law has revealed our sin, that every mouth may be silenced. So God is inviting them to come to the Lord in judgment. And he makes an ironic statement. He says, let the peoples renew their strength. A chapter prior, he says that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And so basically, as he as he's giving this invitation to these pagan lands and the Chaldeans, he's making an ironic statement saying, you by your false gods renew your strength and see if you can stand with me in judgment. And the obvious answer is no, they can't stand before the Lord in judgment. And then he says, let them approach, let them speak, let us draw near for judgment. So on the one hand, he's saying, be silent. And that once again, that denotes coming to him in reverence. But the following, cla- the, 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 the clause after, he says, uh, let them speak. So let them state their cause. Let them state whatever their judgment may be with me in judgment. And so verse two, he says, who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? And so as I was doing some reading, I discovered that here in this text, he's referring to Abraham. And so he's saying that he raised up one from the east. He raised up Abraham. We will see what uh, importance Abraham has to this entire text and to the people of God uh, here shortly. But he raised him up from the land of Ur. And what do we know the scriptures to say about Abraham? That he acted in faith, right? The Lord had taken him from the land of Ur. Why? Because the Lord had promised him. Though Abraham himself was a pagan at the time, God calls him out of a land that he doesn't want him to reside in any longer. And he says, I'm going to give you a new land, which is an inheritance, right? And, and what, uh, uh, what might this be in relevance to us today? It may be very discouraging that in this foreign land, you have a lot of people that are infecting it with unrighteousness, with vileness, with wickedness, with corruption. But the Bible says that Abraham looked for a new country whose builder and maker is God. And so we, him serving as a type and shadow of how we as the church of Jesus Christ ought to act in faith, we too must act in faith in light of knowing this, that there is a distant country whose builder and maker is God, who will uh, shake the foundations of the earth and make all things new. But in the meantime, we are sojourning, we are traveling in this land unto the land of promise. But he says, who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. So Abraham also trampled kings underfoot. In Hebrews chapter uh, 7, verse 1, it says, 
This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. So Abraham defeated kings. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 14. When he had delivered Lot. Because as you know, the story goes, they, their, their, uh, flock, their flocks were too great for them to uh, remain in, in, in uh, joint with each other. So they, they survey the land and Abraham says, you know, wh- whatever portion you would like to take, go ahead and take it. And Lot took, obviously, Sodom, right? And he, he went uh, uh, that way. But um, it, had, it had come to um, bite him, you know, in the behind later. But Abraham had to assist Lot. And nonetheless, the report of Abraham is that he defeated kings. And so the Lord is making reference to Abraham here saying, I raised up one from the east. And, and this man, this righteous man, has defeated kings. And I want you to bear in mind that while I mentioned that Abraham kind of parallels to us as the church and that we ought to act in faith, he's the father of faith to those who would believe also in Christ. But do not be mistaken that he also serves as a a symbolism and he he typifies Christ. He's a representative of Christ in this regard, that Jesus himself, will conquer kings also. Amen. But he says, um, he makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and pass on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. And so, once again, he's making, he's making reference to Abraham, who uh, dwelt in a, in, a, in, a, in a strange land. And he's saying that the Lord, he is the first and the last. And so, the things, and why God uh, is careful to mention that is because the Lord is attempting to encourage his people in that current day, saying, though you are in the land of the Chaldeans, the God that was the God at first is the God that is God at the last. So while, uh, just as I have taken Abraham out of a land and brought him into a new land, I too will take you from this current land and bring you into a new land. Because the years of captivity are on the brink of expiring. They're about to end. And so God is using Abraham uh, as an example, as, and, and, and they, it brings to mind the, the former promises that God had promised of old, that I will take you from this, this old land, and he told Abraham, and I will give you a new land, and, and the, the, the seed will be as abundant as the, sea, uh, on the, uh, the grains on the seashore. And as innumerable as the stars. And so this is the promise. This is the promise. And and this promise is also a promise that is is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is that seed. 
and we are his offspring, and we are innumerable as the sand, and we're as innumerable as the stars. And the Bible says that Jesus has inherited the earth, and then the nations will be his prized possession. So despite whatever we see the wicked doing today, we may, we may conclude from that, that somehow the wicked are in control, or somehow the elites are sovereign, or somehow the church is going to get snuffed out, or where will we go from here? But the reality is that, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That is the God of the beginning, and he's a God of the last, the God who did things in former times is the God who will do the very same things today. And he changes not. He's immutable. And he's not fickle like man that tosses to and fro by every uh, 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 slate of emotion. He is steadfast in his commitment. Amen. 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 So as we're coming down, look look at verse five. It says, the coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble and they have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil saying of the soldering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. So what's going on here is the idol makers are attempting to strengthen themselves, to console themselves. Kind of like um, it's kind of like today. The politicians are are strengthening the people in the pharmaceutical industry and those in the pharmaceutical industry are attempting to uh, strengthen and console the people the politicians the the um social media elites are strengthening the politicians and politicians strengthening strengthening them they're all in cahoots together and do you think that their purpose is for the strengthening of the church for for the for the good of the masses far from it and i'm not here to preach a doomsday far from it the lord is entering into judgment with such idol makers the lord is entering into judgment with the chaldeans here because the chaldeans will be ransacked And there are some people that have speculated that here in Isaiah 41, when it talks about raising one up from the east, that he's talking about the king of Cyrus, uh, Cyrus the king. Now there's a case that can be made about that. And and Cyrus does assist um, the Persians and and ransacking the Chaldeans. But here's the point nonetheless, that God favored his people that God protected his people, that God was with his people. And though they were taken captive, God had not abandoned them. God had not forsaken them. And God had raised up a king. God had raised up an army to ransack the very people that were uh, against God's people. 
and the same is the the same is true for today jesus is for us if god be for us who can be against us he's on our side and he hasn't left the church he hasn't abandoned the church in these current times and so if 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 we don't know the outcome the the thing that we can rest assured is that we know god we know him we know his ways we know his character and we know his heart you know someone said that i don't need to know everything i just need to know the one who does know everything amen <clears throat> But they're strengthening each other, but all in vain. You know, but it's interesting to me that despite their different crafts, they're able to strengthen each other nonetheless. I think this could be served as an example for for the church of Jesus Christ that we ought to also strengthen one another despite our different giftings. That we are to be here for one another. And that we're in it together. But he says in verse 8, it says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. He says, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest corner, saying, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Amen. If there was ever a time that the people of God may have suspected God had cast them off, it was during that time. They are far from Jerusalem. They probably hate the food that they have to eat there. They're having to be subject to oppressors. And this was a very long time, 70 years. Some of us are saying, God, this has been a very long time. And you're making it an inference from that. You're concluding from that, that God has left you. That God somehow has abandoned. God is not, um, God is not slack concerning his promise. But he's patient toward all. And his purposes stand fast for every generation. And his purposes stand fast for you. And I, and I, I am saying that um, with the backing of the Lord. God's purposes stand fast for you. Despite seeing very little results. And God, God is reminding his people. Remember, I've taken Abraham from the land of Ur, whom I called my friend, and you are his offspring. And so just as I have taken him from a distant land and brought him into the promised land, I am also able to take you from this land and bring you back and restore you back where you once were. And this can be taken geographically. In terms of where we're living, but it can also be taken in terms of where we once were in our hearts. 
how our relationship with God used to be vibrant. How it used to have the joy of the Holy Spirit. And somehow ruin had set in. And what the Lord is saying is, you are my servant. I have chosen you. And not cast you off. But how, Lord? Where where are the sacrifices? Where is this beautiful temple? Where are the Jewish festivals? Where's our old Jewish music? Surely you have cast us off, O Lord. But the Lord is saying contrary. This This is why it's so important that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we walk by sight, we're going to make an inference from all that we see that God has abandoned us. That God has forsaken us. That God is through with us. Because of what we see in our surroundings. But this is where God, he defies, he defies what we see. He defies what our minds conclude. If it, Even if the math says X, Y, and Z, God is, is still uh, uh, miles ahead of, of the experts and says, uh, but they didn't see that. They didn't include this. They didn't see this bit of information. God's logic, God's ways, God's ability, God's wisdom trans that transcends that of humanity. Amen. And so we must ask, what does the Lord say? Not do what not what we see. And he says, verse 10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Notice he doesn't say fear not. Because everything is going to be easy. It doesn't say fear not because you're not going to go through pain. But what is their basis for hope? And it's this, that God is with them. That God is with them. Imagine for a moment that it was the case. If, if, if it was actually true that God was not with you. Would it matter who would be for you? How much influence you have? How much money you have? How great your uh, situation is in the flesh? Obviously not. That'd be a horror to discover that God was not for us. Be a horror the Bible is saying that God is for us. Our situations may not be for us. The rulers of this world may not be for us. Political parties may not be for us. The laws may not be in our favor. People cracking down on us, trying to discriminate us because we're refusing to take the vaccination. <clears throat> These wicked people trying to influence society. But you know what? God is not with them. He's with us. And he will have the wicked in derision. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. 
is what the Bible says in Psalm 2. You know, as we speak, the Lord laughs at the at, at the wicked because he sees his day he sees their day coming is what the bible says let me say how how could you say that i can say that because the bible says that i say that because i'm not looking with my eyes i'm looking in the spirit and i'm looking what the text says right Yes, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And it says that the nation shall be turned into hell who forget God. But he says, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Once again, take that into its negative form. Suppose God were to say to a soul, I will not help you. I will not strengthen you. We would immediately sink down in in, in hopelessness. Not just discouragement, in utter hopelessness. But God is promising that he will strengthen you. Now notice how encouraged our hearts are when we view it in that light. If God were not my help, it doesn't matter who my help is. I don't want anybody else's help if God ain't helping me. But if God is helping me, that means it doesn't matter who wants to come to my help. I have the greatest help of all. Amen. His his resources are inexhaustible. His glory knows no end. His power is inestimable. His strength knows no boundaries. His love is so deep that the, that the sea is, is but a speck in, in light of his great and vast love for his people. And it is this God, despite all that the people of God were going through, was saying, I'm with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you. He says, fear not. And Jesus echoes this same thing when he says uh uh fear not neither let your hearts be troubled peace i leave with you what do you mean jesus peace we're not experiencing peace we're being persecuted the peace of god surpasses all understanding and all misunderstandings it transcends It's not conditional. It's not circumstantial. It is universal and absolute. And it defies location. And it defies circumstances. And it is available for all all God's people at all times. If they they would but press into him. I remember remember when I read this uh, book of of a martyr. um, They were threatening to throw this man in like Siberia or something or where it was really cold. And he said, you can't place me on a land that doesn't belong to my God. And he laughed. And that's great faith. (laughs) But the idea there is this. Anywhere that you place me, my God will be there. 
and my God will be with me because he lives in me and I live in him. And even if you kill me, that's all you can do is destroy body. But after that, you can do no more. And your threatenings will lose its power. Mm-hmm. You're threatening us with our livelihoods. If we don't comply, if we don't conform, if we don't bow the knee. We'll keep doing that because God will have will make sure you have your day. Who would destroy both soul and body and cast it into hell. Don't mess with God's people. Let the uh, let the rulers of this world be warned. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way. This is what the Bible says of those who had crucified the Christ. <clears throat> and we see this all throughout history, even in the early church. Jesus had looked out for his people when he had prophesied to them that not one stone would be laid on another. And he told them that those uh, who were in Jerusalem to flee to Judea. And as Josephus records, there was about a million Jews that were slaughtered by the Romans that ransacked the people, uh, the Jewish people. But you know who was spared? God's people. And they fled to the mountains like Jesus had predicted. Uh, had prophesied, had instructed them to do so. This is the first century, 70 AD. Who was spared? God's people. You know who wasn't? Those who placed Jesus on the cross. But not the Romans. You know why? Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The Jewish Sanhedrin council knew what they were doing but they crucified him anyways. That's why the Romans ransacked the Jewish people and destroyed the temple. It was a sign that that the father had vindicated his son and that he rejected the old covenantal system that that, uh, was done away with. And so similarly today, God will have his sign and he will vindicate his people and he will proclaim to those who are rejecting him and who are oppressing his people, do not lay a hand on my people or else. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How we not also along with him graciously give us provision, graciously give us strength, graciously give us support, graciously give us encouragement and direction and wisdom and counsel and guidance and love. Amen. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing. And shall perish. It shall be as nothing. Despite their 
fleshly power and wit and intelligence. God has always chosen a weak people. God has always chosen the smallest of clans. God has always chosen a Gideon and says, you know what? I'm going to take the smallest man from the smallest clan among the smallest Jewish people. And I'm going to take those people and I'm going to confound all those whose uh, oh, uh, confidence rested in military strength and wit. And I'm going to display to the world and I'm going to display to the church and to the angelic host that God, that there's a God in heaven who rests among his people, who grants deliverance and salvation for his people. And it is accomplished not by their strength or by their wit or by their ability, but by a mighty God who uh, uh, works through a weak uh, uh, group of people. It works through the weakest of people. And he confounds the wicked. He leads them in confusion. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. So the Lord is with us. He promises to not abandon us. Isn't that an encouragement that the Lord would say, I'm holding your right hand. I'm holding your right hand. You don't hold hands with people that are close to you. Try to go to Walmart and hold a hand with a stranger. <laughs> see, see what they do. <laughs> go to the store and just go try to grab the right hand of some stranger. <laughs> See how well they take it. <clears throat> yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay. Um, but the Lord is saying that he's holding our hand. That implies Intimacy. That implies a knowledge of of you, that God knows you. And deliverance is coming for these people. Salvation is coming to his people. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you. So it's no one else. It's not someone speculating about what God would do for them and saying, hopefully God will. Lord is speaking in the first person and saying, I will do this. So if if God were to say to you today, son, daughter, I'm going to hold your right hand and I will help you. 
what would that mean for us? How should our hearts then respond in an appropriate attitude? Or how should our behavior change in conformity to that truth, in light of that truth? <clears throat> it might mean that we should take his counsel and, 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 and not fear, right? Not be in doubt, not be afraid. He says, verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob, you man of Israel. I am the one who helps you. So he says, you're a worm. You don't get any lower than the earth because that's where worms are, right? They're... He doesn't say, oh, you mighty stallion. He doesn't say, you lion, because that's not where they're at. They're humbled. Worms can't really defend themselves. Right? But isn't that a glorious hope? You know what? I can't really defend myself. I I can't really fight. But I have a God who has claimed that he would fight for me. He says, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. See, notice how many times the Lord is continuing to say, I will help you. I will strengthen you. It reminds me of how Peter, how the Lord Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me more than the rest? Or he says, do you love me? He says, yes, you know, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Simon? says, yes, well, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Jesus says, verily, verily. And so when God wants to really get a point to us, he will add repetition. So if it wasn't enough that he had said it once, he's repeating himself, and God doesn't have to repeat himself. But it's, it's, it's a warrant. It, it is a demonstration of, of his abundant care for you attempting to communicate this encouraging and this consoling message because he knows how frail we are in nature and how we need to be undergird with the reminder that there is a hope. He says, behold, I make of you a threshing sledge new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. And what mountains are referring here to are, I, I'm assuming, from my understanding of other passages, is a nations. Our nations. It's like, well, how do you get that from that? <clears throat> well, in Isaiah, there's another passage where it says, um, may every heel be, uh, uh, um, every crooked place made straight and every valley exalted and heavy heel brought low. And whether he was talking about the, the valleys are the people that need to be lifted up, who have humbled themselves and need to be exalted and the, and the hills represented those who have exalted themselves and need to be brought low. And so the Lord is saying, yeah, you're in captivity right now, but there's going to come a time you're going to be conquering. 
And this is from the Lord. He says, you shall winnow them and the wind shall carry them away and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar and the the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. And so what's happening here is we can say in one sense that Isaiah is prophesying and and this this was fulfilled in the time of, of the book of Acts where we have been given the Holy Spirit and we shall not thirst again. And though we reside in, in a wilderness, because this, this world is a wilderness, God has provided us with a resource no matter where we go, that, that in the wilderness, he will open up waters for us. He, he will answer us, as the text says, and he will quench our parched tongues. David says that when he was living in sin, he says that my strength dried up as in the heat of summer. But to every weary soul, to every soul that has been uh, depleted, every soul that has been overcome with exhaustion, every soul that has even perhaps been overcome with sin, there is nonetheless a promise of God that despite where you're at, that if you would come to him, there is deliverance from the strange of the land, and he will provide us with his spirit. He will provide us with joy. He will answer us in the day of trouble. He will uh, uh, remove every barrier that is necessary for us to be restored to that place of joy once again. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and, there's, and their tongue is parched with thirst. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I'm thankful that I that the Lord brings me continually to a place to where I say I am poor and I am needy. The Lord never wants us to graduate from that place. The Lord never wants us to graduate from that place at all. It's a, mis- it's a miserable condition if we've persuaded ourselves that we're in a place to where we aren't needy anymore. <clears throat> Sometimes people are sunk down with so much discouragement because they're reminded of the fact that they're very needy and they wish they can come to a place where they have no need any, any longer. But you know what? That might actually come to serve as your downfall. Because those who claim to have no need are those who will have the greatest need of all in not too long. But they're just, they don't realize it. They don't see it. They don't sense it. They don't feel it.
the Lord says in verse 20, and they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So God wants to bring us to a place where he grants deliverance. He grants, he answers us in the day of trouble. He, he helps us. And that we may see and we may know that it is that the Lord has done it. If you leave thinking I've done it, you will not be thankful. In fact, many times we we have a resume of all the things that we do, and when we attribute it to ourselves and our strength, there's no occasion of thanksgiving. How are you going to thank yourself? Thanksgiving implies a gift or it implies something that was not due to you. But if you're working and you reap results from your work, that is deserving. The results of the work warrants the results. But God wants us to live in a place of thanksgiving. And thanksgiving only comes when God brings about results in our lives that are not based off ourselves or based off our strength or based off our capabilities. Amen. But rather based on his grace, based on his mercy, based on his strength. And so there's many things perhaps right now in your life and you're saying, you know what, I don't deserve that. And you're right. But it, but the Lord wants to say this, that the, the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Because he wants to get glory even in, through, and out of our misery. He wants to get glory. He wants no flesh to boast in his presence. He wants no flesh to boast. <clears throat> but the Lord is saying, don't fear. Neither be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be hopeless. For God's mighty right hand, his outstretched arm will strengthen you. He will help you. He will undergird you. When you're weak and you say you feel like you can't continue any longer, God's hand is there to continue to help you. When you feel like you don't know the way, he will take you by the right hand. He will begin to guide you. You say, Lord, I'm so exhausted. I'm tired. I have a parched tongue and a parched lip and this weary land. And he says that he will cause water to gush forth to the dry and thirsty soul. You feel like you're robbed of joy and you, you, you don't know how to regain it. God said that he's, he's the mender of broken hearts and that he can help you to recapture that joy. And there are no ifs in God. 
God has all power. What is impossible for man is possible through God. What is impossible with man is literally possible with God. And so for many of you, you might be seeing Pharaoh with all of his army bringing you to a place of intimidation. And you're right before the sea. Physically speaking, there is no possibility for deliverance. There's no possibility to see your way through. But God is able to make what has never happened before in history occur right before your very eyes. As the seas stand, the left side and the right side begin to stand at attention. And he makes a straight course for you to exit out of Pharaoh's grip. Hallelujah. And you pass on to the other side. While your enemies are swallowed up. Some of us are going through hard times. Some of us have our livelihoods on the line because we don't want to comply with these mandates. And God sees and he knows. And there are no resources in the wilderness, but he will cause resources to gush forth even in the wilderness for you. Amen. The Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He feeds the birds daily. They do not seek nor they do not toil nor strive. But the Bible says that your heavenly father feeds them. He says, how much more will he not clothe you? You of so little faith. How much more will he not protect you? How much more will he not cover you? He says, even if a sparrow, he says, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without it being outside of the will of the Father. I don't pay, I mean, you bird, you bird lovers might pay attention to birds, right? But I don't sit around just gazing at birds like, oh, I wonder where that bird went. But the Lord sees every single animal. And you know who... Who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? The Lord. He feeds them. But we're talking about God's people made in his image. Who he has given his son for, his life's blood. Once again, to cite Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things including food including provision including livelihood right the lord will not leave us nor forsake us the lord will like the text says he's with you 
He has chosen you. He says, you're a, you're, you are Abraham's offspring, and he calls Abraham friend. So you know what he calls you? He calls you friend. <clears throat> so do you think at all that, um, I, I mean, I, maybe, maybe you guys have had fake friends, right, who didn't come through for you. But a true friend is going to be there for you. But God is a perfect friend. You know what? There's there's um there's someone in this group. You've recently had friends, so-called friends, that began to talk about you and uh, mistreat you. And you've been excluded. Um, But God wants to let you know that you're included in him. And that he's your friend. So I want us to to pray at this moment. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you, God, for your mercy, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your abundant love toward your people. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage the hearts of your people. I pray that you would be there, Lord, for your people. I pray that you would come through for all of them, Lord. God, <clears throat> I ask of you, Lord, for those that... um don't know what the next step is, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to them. I pray that you would encourage their downcast hearts. Lord, let them know, Father. Let them be assured. Let them be reassured that you are with them. You will not leave nor forsake them. May your presence just begin Give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. Give them a peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that fear would be overcome right now in Jesus' mighty name. That every lie of the devil would be brought to nothing. Every lie of the devil would be brought to nothing. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, begin to break chains. Begin to mend broken hearts. Begin to restore. Begin to make whole. Father, have your way, Lord, we pray. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, may your presence come. Those who have been in a dry and weary land, Lord, see them through. See them through, God. See them through, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just pray a little bit longer. Just pray a little bit longer. Father, I pray that the the enemy would not snatch the word that has been sown into their hearts. That I ask of you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. It would be brought to fruition. 
I pray that much fruit would come from their lives, Lord. I pray that the enemy would not abort, would not terminate what has been sown into them, Lord. Father, lift up every humbled heart in this place. Lift up every humble heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, reassure them, Lord, that you won't leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. We praise and magnify your holy name. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, God. You are worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. I pray, God, in Jesus' mighty name, that those, Lord, that are in our lives or are trying to come into our lives, Lord God, Father, I pray that they will be cut off or that, that don't honor you, Lord, that don't further your purposes, that don't further your agenda, that don't further your kingdom, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus' mighty name. Glory to God. Just praise and magnify your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that you would protect their minds. <clears throat> protect their minds, God. From lies and doubt of the enemy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.